Hey, I'm Verite, and you're listening to Anatomy of an Artist, a podcast about people, the art they create, and the business behind their art. Hello, and welcome back to another week of Anatomy of an Artist. My guest this week is Shalou, the artist project of songwriter and producer Joe Boston. We had a really interesting conversation about the power of ownership of your masters, how he grew his project independently, and what went into his decision to sign with a major label. We talked about how he released his most recent record in quarantine, the challenges he faced while not able to tour, and we also dove deep into managing mental health and the implications that has on the creative process. There's so much in this conversation, and I really hope you guys enjoy a lot of this past year has kind of reframed how I look at the world in general and how I look at a lot of things. And I feel like you and I had similar experiences where, I mean, you released a whole record in quarantine. Yeah, like, well, yeah, it was starting to roll out at the beginning of the year. And then I was on like single three and I got the call from my managers who were like, yo, I don't think this tour is going to go because this is getting really crazy. And I was watching stuff on CNN and stuff and like following all those little slow updates about what was going on. And I was like, this seems a little, I don't know, this is getting real pretty quick. Uh, so yeah, suddenly it was like, okay, now do we push the album? Uh, we're not going to be touring. Do we just like put the album out there and, you know, just move forward. And we, I just made the decision like, yeah, I think people need music right now. So we just put it out and, uh, I think it was the right decision, but it just got weird because I had all this music out and I feel like we didn't get to do a lot of ton of marketing with it. Um, which I think the tour is such a big part of like selling a record and showing like my original vision for the music and stuff and like playing it live and all that. And that got kind of taken away. So I feel like the album got a little bit stranded out there, but it is what it is. I think people needed music and it was just kind of like a little sacrifice that I felt like I had to make. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't necessarily think that pushing a record or kind of, I've seen some instances of COVID holdouts of people just constantly waiting for things to get quote unquote better before they make a move. And I think this idea of like, oh, this is actually here to stay. And we actually have to form maybe new structures and a new reality around this reality and so maybe the grass could have been greener but maybe not as well i think you just mm. have to go with your gut and i agree that giving people music and community and connection was i mean really imperative for my year last year mm. yeah so i want to like take it back and then i want to jump into the future at the end of the conversation but you've been fully immersed in music from such a young age you grew up playing piano and so when we when you were younger what was your idea of success and did you imagine a certain trajectory for your life well for me at the beginning I just wanted to be a producer I think the thing I was obsessed with with music at a young age was all the different sounds and I was like that's a really cool sound I want to know how to make that uh and I really kind of got into it with that idea of how do I create the records that I love? How do I like recreate these sounds? And um, that kind of started with me, I guess, learning instrument. I was kind of like, well, I have to learn this to be able to go into that and like fully understand it. Uh, so my original dream wasn't like really to be an artist. Uh, it was probably more to be like an engineer, a producer. I never had a feeling like I want to be in the spotlight I was kind of more of a behind the scenes guy. Um, I don't like look like a star, you know what I mean? I've always kind of thought of myself as the guy tinkering behind the boards. 
and then I just kind of got lucky um, experimenting with my own sound, uh, making my own stuff in college, and meeting my best friend and manager, Carson, uh, who kind of told me, encouraged me, like, you can do the artist thing. Um, you can make this happen. And he just kind of helped me get early experiences, like doing remixes and doing like collabs with people. So yeah, I kind of like fell into it. I never dreamed like, oh, one day I'll play like the Staples Center or something like that. I'll be like, oh, maybe one day I'll work with like a good artist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like my dreams were always really kind of small and like attainable. Uh, I think that's just kind of like how I grew up. Like my parents were pretty humble people. We, you know, I always had what I needed growing up, but I, I was never like, wanting kind of like lofty things i was like oh if i could work with artists and produce them and make cool weird sounding stuff that's all i need and like luckily i've been able to achieve that um just working on my own stuff so it's really interesting you say that because with that perspective the the artist project that you've created is actually really true to that initial vision that you do get to work with artists and you do get to collaborate so much and actually you've built a project in a world where you don't necessarily have to be this centered fixture you can just be a player within it and I find that really fascinating because basically you get the best of both worlds you kind of get to blend into the world that you're creating, but you also simultaneously get to maintain an ownership of that world. Whereas if you were primarily producing for other artists, right, there, there would be a detachment of, of ownership and I guess how much is invested. Uh, so I, I find that to be really interesting with that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of songwriting as well. So I just love to even within my own music, amplify other people's talents and like kind of combine two things rather than having the production overpower the vocal or the vocal be very specific to what I'm doing. I, I don't know. I, I feel like putting a little bit more of thoughtful songwriting into the electronic space is uh, kind of what I've found to be the best formula for me. How do you think transitioning from, from Maryland to Chicago to kind of hone your craft and, and develop a vision for what you wanted to do benefited you versus kind of throwing yourself into the LA scene and that grind? I think a lot of my initial reservations with moving to like a big industry city were partly maybe a little bit of insecurity and feeling like I wasn't ready um, to be in that highly competitive environment um i kind of i kind of like keeping to myself and working on stuff by myself and then bringing it to other people and we kind of take it to, to the finish line um but it was mostly based off of like i don't know if i'm good yet i don't know if what i'm making is like you know is going to attract other artists to work with um so I think a little bit of it was just like gaining my feet of figuring out my sound, figuring out what I wanted to do, getting that confidence up, and then bringing that into the uh, crazy environment of LA. And I think things were starting to happen for me in my career too, where my managers were like, you need to be around a vibrant community of like writing and musicians and industry and stuff to keep going up, to keep increasing. Uh, your profile and stuff. And in Chicago, there isn't a lot of like the industry world. There are plenty of musicians and artists. Um, but I wasn't really tapping into that as much. I was kind of more owning my own craft. Uh, so yeah, I was also just like scared of LA. I was like, it seems so <laughs> intense. I grew up with like a little bit of a, you know, Thing where I was like oh I don't like LA seems snobby seems whatever like that whole like east coast thing of like oh LA is like a bunch oh, yeah. of vapid people and uh couldn't be more wrong by the way like as mm -hmm. soon as I got here I met 
like the coolest people I've ever met in my life. I haven't really met that many kind of like Hollywood, whatever head in the clouds type people at all. Uh, especially cause like I live in Silver Lake Echo Park neighborhood. Everyone else is kind of creatives and, you know, doing cool shit and not, uh, not all obsessed with their image and stuff. So looking at your early experiences in the music industry, I guess when, when you slowly started to pivot in into your artist project and viewing yourself as an artist, what was your concept of the music industry? And did you view that as a, a viable career path? And I guess, what did that transition look like? Well, yeah, at first I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to survive <laughs> doing music. <laughs> that's dark. And and that's what you're told. I mean, that's what I was kind of, that's the idea that you get from a lot of people is like what, like 1.01% people make it or whatever. So I kind of brought that attitude of, of like, you know, I'm going to do my best. I might fail. Like it's probably very likely that I'll fail, but I'm just going to keep doing it until I can't anymore. Uh, and I think the thing that helped me realize that it could be a career is just those tiny steps up on the ladder. Like, you know, I started out doing remixes, like I said, like first remix I did for like 250 bucks. That was a lot of money to me to make in music. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's great. You know, if I just keep doing these, I can slowly kind of build up. Um, and what I found was the more opportunities I took at that early stage, the more kind of, connections I got to other things like for example I did a remix for I think Andrew Bell that was like my first thing I ever did that I got paid for and then his manager was like oh I'll recommend you to this label that needs people to remix their songs and you can do that and then slowly but surely I was kind of able to like raise my remix price um because the remix would perform well. And I was like, okay, I'm to put out some original music. So I kind of dropped little singles here and there. And I got extremely, extremely lucky with Spotify in like 2016, 2017 era, where one of the playlisters for the indie stuff, John Stein, he came to my show that was like a 100 cap show in New York. Uh, I was doing like a co-headline with this artist called Manti Commune. Both like we didn't have like a huge profile at all. Doing that show, not really sold out. John happened to go into it and saw us perform. And I guess he heard some of my music and was like, oh, this is interesting. This is cool. Um, so when it was time to release, he kind of grabbed that song and started putting it in playlists. And we, at first we were like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why is this song doing so well on Spotify? Like, I don't have any, you know, I don't really have traction or anything like that to go off of. And um, basically my managers reached out because back then, in it's like back then, 2016. Mm -hmm. like it was the golden era. Yeah, I mean, but like back then it was a lot easier to access the people at Spotify. You know, they were taking meetings more with like independent artists and, you know, wanting to meet new artists that were coming out of nowhere kind of I felt I think they still do but from my experience it was like whoa you know the Spotify guy wants to like have a meeting and listen to more music and all that stuff so I got super lucky with that song getting into playlists and starting to generate you know millions of streams and I was like whoa you can actually make money off of streaming because I was always told you can't Mm -hmm. nobody does and um i was fortunate enough to see that oh, okay i still own the master to this i still own the publishing to this nobody's has their hands in the pot yet so i'm actually making money yeah. i think i took that mindset forward of well shit like if i can make money independently and having spotify support that's the way to go and i think a lot of other artists at the time were kind of taking the same route like i know at least in my genre, like with Petit Biscuit, you know, he's still, I'm pretty sure he still owns the master to Sunset Lover. And at the time he was like completely independent and that song just started blowing up on every fucking mm -hmm. social media platform possible. So that showed me, I was like, oh, okay, streaming is 
is working for me, I think I can just put my eggs in this basket and hope that it keeps going. Uh, and eventually we turned towards touring and started to build up that. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the genesis of everything. I mean, 2015, 16, even 17 Spotify, it was, it was kind of this golden era of digital music and streaming where I was fed a very similar narrative that streaming doesn't pay. And so I remember for my early releases, we were just focused on SoundCloud because I had kind of resigned to not making money in streaming. And then you recognize, oh, actually, there is immense value in maintaining ownership and, you know, this idea that that first you know, check or whatever statement that I got from TuneCore was the most money I'd ever seen in my life. And recognizing, oh, this is actually something that I can build a business out of and I can build a career out of. But it's really interesting because that landscape has definitely changed and, and where there were no gates, now there are absolutely gates. And I think that the experience of an artist now is much different kind of gaining access to those people. And so I, I want to talk really quick about your decision to sign to Island, being that you had developed a really sustainable and successful independent career. And I'm curious what went into that decision. Yeah, I'll, I'll be an open book about it. Basically, it was a ton, a ton of negotiating to get basically a one album deal mm -hmm. with two options where at the end of one album, we say, you know, if you don't want to renew this, if the album doesn't do great, we both walk away and it's all good. And at the time I had built something and you know, this is, I was, I was really worried and scared to go into my debut album independently uh, on my own because it's a lot of money out of your own pocket, I think, to promote yourself and do the things that I wanted to do and then also pay for touring expenses. Like, I kind of wanted to keep building my show to be bigger and more dynamic and more musicians on stage, you know, like a full band and stuff. And that shit really burns a hole in your pocket. Like, when you get to like, paying multiple musicians, paying a lighting director, paying a sound uh, designer, paying for a tour bus, all that stuff. You come away, it's like, okay, now your tour is at like a 20, 30K, you're like losing money, mm -hmm. which, is, which is typical, I think. But that on top of also putting all my own money forward uh, to really try to make the debut album pop was a really scary thing. Um, and we had gotten some offers from labels and we were like, let's look at these, you know, if it, if it feels like they are taking something away from us or we're losing ownership or we're not going to get anything out of it, then we shouldn't do it. But what we found is we were able to get a deal that was actually fine. Like, mm -hmm. you know, good amount of money, one album, If it doesn't hit, we're good. Um, and yeah, I think I wanted those label backing, the the label backing to go back into the Spotify system and be like, okay, here I am again. I also have these big boys behind me, mm -hmm. whatever, um, to show that I'm legit or whatever. I don't know. Just like kind of a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a complex about, again, insecurity maybe even. Um, I don't regret it at all. I think the album did really it did it did great it didn't like explode blow up you know it's not on the radio it's not on tiktok or whatever um but i'm really happy with it i didn't really acquiesce that's the other thing with my labels like with island is they never told me what to make mm -hmm. they were never like here you know can you make a song like zed can you make a song like uh whatever david Guetta? like we need to get this on the radio sell records i gave them what i gave them and they worked it as best as they could and i think at the end of the year i was also kind of emotionally drained because of covid uh 
because I was having a hard time making music, the follow-up music to it, because I was just so kind of in my own head with COVID and nervous and anxiety-ridden and all this stuff that we just decided to like walk away from it, mm-hmm. you know, mutually. But yeah, your, your uh, question was like, why did I do it kind of? I think it was, I wanted to grow my profile, but I didn't want to give too much away, but I was willing to give just a little bit. Um, and now I'm independent again. So I think I learned a lot about, here's what happens when you sign to a major label. Here's what they can do. Um, and now I know that. And now I know what they did that I couldn't do on my own. Uh, and I mean, a lot of the A&R work of like getting certain artists to work with came down to me and my managers mm-hmm. and we can still do that, you know, without a label. So there's a variety of factors, but ultimately I think it was, it was a good, it was a good thing. I think we both benefited from it, but I was really lucky again to be in a situation where I could kind of say, okay, my back catalog, I own all the masters too. So I could go into it with that. And I think a lot of artists go into a deals with like no ownership of any of their music. Like they've signed to a label early on and now the label owns all those masters and they want two, three, four, five records from you before you can leave. And that shit is really scary. That shit I would not recommend getting into. I would recommend staying as independent as long as possible. And then when you do go to the label, make sure it's like really worth it, you know? Well, I think it's an important experiment to have. And I think that in your, in your position, it seems like it came from a place of like empowerment and knowledge and recognizing that there is a lot of value to bringing on a label as a bank, right? Mm-hmm. And in in an investment tool to kind of alleviate some of the burden that is self-financing. Like I understand that stress firsthand and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've done it on both small and larger scales for my own project. And and it's one of those things where you approve these budgets and you have a mini heart attack and you're just yeah, like totally. I hope this works and so i definitely understand that like the decision to to want to have that stress alleviated and also i really feel you on the legitimacy aspect right because i i've never signed to a label and and you know i had i had a distribution partner for a while um which was a great relationship but this idea of this lack of cosign um, this mm. lack of like the cool dude in the corner being like, yo, she's cool. And I think that that's something in my career that I've constantly felt like I need to overcompensate for and overcome, especially like you said, re-entering into the streaming relationships and, and that landscape, which is really fundamentally changed and this idea that re-entering that new landscape independently is now way different than it was in you know five years ago, and the hope is that you re-enter with that sense of you know clout and legitimacy and backing. But it's it's also really strange because you do recognize that even with that backing, it doesn't always fall into place like we wish it would, and so. From my perspective, I've I've spoken to so many artists, some unsigned, some signed, some like you who have kind of gone in one door and out the other. And the one shared experience is that no one really knows and that we're all really experimenting with different processes, with different strategies. And it's it's an anomaly when it works and, and it's an anomaly when it hits. Yeah, that's the thing is like people are always kind of like asking, how do you do it? How do you break through? How do you do all these different things? All I can say is just my own experience. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to write a book like about 
here's exactly what you need to do to make it in the music industry. I just don't, I think that's all <laughs> bullshit. It's completely subjective. Uh, and I mean, I, I've said it multiple times already. Like a lot of it is luck, right place at the right time, who you know. And it sucks to hear that as like a budding new musician that it's like first you have the talent, but then there's like all these other things that have to fall into place. Uh, the only thing I can kind of give to people is if you, the hard work I think comes in working on your craft and working on your music and not putting so much into like the grinding and the business of it. I think you should put your hard work into creating the stuff because if the music is good, it, I believe it will get heard the, if the right people hear it. Um, then you can blow up. Like I just think it all comes down to how good the music is, uh, truly. So I I don't like the mentality of people saying you gotta grind, you gotta like be out there doing all this stuff. It's like nah, you should be like working on your music, <laughs> like just yeah, creating it, getting it as good as you. Sorry, my freaking washing machine is going off. Um, <laughs> getting it as good as you can. Uh and and then going and and trying to find a manager and an agent and stuff well i mean that stuff gets really complicated but yeah uh, and and also i mean the big thing people don't think about at the early stage is the thing that matters more than anything is your fan base mm. and like getting fans because you can make like a top radio hit or whatever but if you don't have like actual fans who are going to keep coming back and listening to you and buying tickets or whatever and buying your stuff, you're not going to have a career. And I think people will make decisions that aren't with like a fan mindset, which I think you're an example of someone who is always, from what I see on social media, always creating for yourself and for other people, never kind of doing these kind of things that are like you know overly industry i think like you know who you are you're creating a brand for yourself and you're you've created value um for your fans and you've created like a huge kind of ecosystem around that i think that is what people need to focus on because like you said the industry is going to be always changing the landscape's always going to be changing but if you have those core people that care about what you do and love what you do, it just doesn't matter, right? You can kind of adapt. Well, thank you. That was very nice. It's 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 always really nice to hear uh, an outside perspective on on what you do, right? Because from mm-hmm. my perspective, I get caught in the negative spiral of like, Jesus, what the fuck am I doing with my career and I'm not where I should be but you're totally right it it all comes down to the fans and the community and the foundation that you're building Mm -hmm. because like you said if you have a moment uh if you have even like a song that hits on radio or a song that goes viral on TikTok the lifespan of that is really what two months maybe three months where that is going to be actively and heavily in rotation and after that time period once the the virality has you know tapered off a bit if there's not a foundation there of of fans who are going to be in your world with you right that's it's it's not a sustainable career model and so i think from my perspective i recognize that really early like really early i recognized that okay i can't play the major label game i just i I can't do it i'm a bit too off kilter and how i write is not really tailored towards that but what i am really good at is people and and not people in the sense of i'm not going to get on tiktok and do a fucking dance um but being one-on-one and talking to people because I I love these people and I value them. And so co-creating experiences where they feel valued and therefore continue to support me so that I can continue to create more value for them, right? That's the ecosystem that I'm trying to create with me and in my community. 
Yeah. And like, I don't know. I kind of wanted to ask you at least, I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I was, I was, honestly, ask, I love it. Um, I was going to ask, how have you adapted without pouring? Because for me, a big thing of connecting with people and kind of making someone a fan, evangelizing them, right? Mm-hmm. Is playing the music live, having them, you know, kind of digest what you're all about in terms of being a performer, how you want to lay out the music, whatever. That to me was like where I feel like I evangelize. I hate, that's a weird word, but I don't know. Whatever the we know is. what you're getting at. Yeah. Get people on board. Right. Uh, how, how have you been trying to do that? And how do we do that? Like, I feel like, does it just happen from people finding your stuff on Spotify and listening a lot and then, you know, reaching out to you and then maybe having a little dialogue and DM or whatever. Um, I, I just have found it very kind of, it throws me off a lot mm-hmm. to not have been able to bring that record out to people and see people's reactions and uh yeah just kind of talk to them in real life for me it's a series of experiments and a lot of trial and error um i think i don't have this grand strategy of onboarding fans into my world I just try a lot of things and some things are really successful and then other things, right, they just aren't and and they don't resonate as much. And then it's like, cool, that didn't work. I just gathered a data point. Um, And so what I found has really worked is a discord and creating an ecosystem where fans can actually then talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of time, especially early in my career, interfacing one-on-one with people, sending personal letters, postcards. There are like eras of letters that I've sent out to fans. And then, but that's an unsustainable amount of work to do mm. so consistently. And Instagram isn't good for this. This idea that like what a community is, is isn't a top-down thing of me talking to my underlings like me like looking down at my fans and being like worship me I am your queen right that being said what a community really is is a a place where people can interface with each other and build relationships with each other and then I can pop in and we can all go play among us and we can all you know I had a town hall the other night where I kind of ran through everything that I'm doing and so for me just giving back to that core community of fans was my focus all of quarantine and not a massive fan of that i love that i think that's cool but it is it's trial and error i did a driveway tour (laughs) where i just showed up in fans driveways and played acoustic for them so some things work and, and some things don't, but I definitely feel you on the lack of connection, especially with touring. Cause my tour got cut like 10 days in. Yeah. So I had a profitable tour that I lost what I was supposed to profit and it like hit and it hurt. Um, But what was really crazy is I look at the merch sales from the next two months without me even posting and recognizing Mm -hmm. that people just rallied behind and they're like, cool, how do we support Kelsey and how do we support Verite? That's the thing. Yeah, man, I, I, I feel you so much with building a community. I also think that that is that is what music is supposed to be and not supposed to be kind of like a stan culture. I think that's how mm-hmm. a lot of these bad, horrible things are happening between, you know, musicians, famous people or whatever, and people is because we put artists on a pedestal um, and the artists don't, like they want to be on the pedestal. They want to be higher than, they want to be better than, unattainable, like, you know, whatever and i think what you're doing is going to not only you know keep the music industry growing and great it's going to prevent shit like that from happening like i think that that is something that we need to be focusing on as musicians is getting rid of the power dynamics mm-hmm. and creating like a, a community of like what it's that's what it's all about to me and that's why shows were so important to me because yeah, you do have 
uh, people coming to see you, but they also can talk to each other and become friends and kind of have that, I don't know, like real life experience rather than just online. Um, so I, I, I love what you're doing. I, I feel like I could learn a lot from your approach because I still, I still have a little bit of that behind the scenes producer mentality where I don't, it, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable for me to be like, Hey, everybody want to talk? Like maybe I'm a little bit more introverted or something. What I learned, especially this was actually just an epiphany that happened this year because like everyone else, there was this idea that like I had to be on TikTok, right? Cause TikTok is where it all happens. And for it's not my personality. Therefore it's not sustainable. Right. Me being on TikTok, it's like, great, it's good. The, you know, few days out of the month where maybe I'm a little manic and can like kind of put on that face. But for the majority of my days, it was incredibly stressful um, and soul crushing. And so I think as artists, part of this, it's like, yes, we have like this focus on the music. And that's obviously the most important thing. You know, the idea that I release music that fans resonate with. And then it's like taking a creative look at, cool, how do I creatively connect with people? And everybody gets to have their own way to do that. And so if it is behind the scenes production, there's so there's so much we can talk off podcast on this. There's so much cool things that you can build within Discord to create a community there where your fans can like interface with each other, where you can run remix competitions, where you can, but you have to kind of act. You get to kind of tailor who has access to what tier of that community based on who participates. And so, and, and we talked about this and we can get into it. The idea of like NFTs and like the future of artistry and independence and what that looks like. And like with that, it can be with social tokens, this idea that your biggest and earliest supporters get benefits and perks for being there early and for evangelizing. God, we're we're still stuck on that word, but it's true. Just but like Google synonyms for that word. <laughs> yeah, please. But it, but if that makes sense. And so I'm I'm curious, right? We've kind of talked about how digital music had its golden era, which you and I, you know, essentially built our careers on. And then obviously, as with anything that has a golden era, you know, the path forward narrows and now it's, you know, streaming is increasingly algorithmic and it's a lot of, you know, kind of like payola and slots reserved for investors within companies, etc. So what do you see as the future of independent artists and independent music Mm, i mean yeah i mean it's a tough thing to answer i think this past year has been a lot of things to make you feel cynical about it Mm -hmm. where okay we're like subtracting things like subtracting boxes that we've had checked like okay i got my touring good okay well now let's we have to take that away or the streaming is good. Maybe that's maybe that will start to go away. Um, I don't know, and that's kind of why I do want to get more into the NFT stuff to hear your thoughts on it. Um, but I do think, you know, touring is coming back, so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. And I have a tour coming in fall, scheduled for fall, and I'm kind of planning to release music around that. So I guess go yeah, the traditional route of releasing an album, hoping it streams well. Um, another thing for me is my style of music. The Sirius XM has like a chill station. Mm-hmm. So they play my music a lot and artists similar to me. So there's kind of a good lifeline there. And also um, radio royalties are better. Like it pays more, is mm-hmm. good. Um, so yeah, that's been kind of my revenue stream. And then, um, going into Spotify either on my own or I might sign with an indie label or sign like another short-term deal. I don't know yet. I haven't decided that. 
um, going into hopefully getting streaming good and then hopefully tour selling really well. And it can kind of almost feel like it's getting back to normal. Yeah. But aside from that, I haven't, I haven't thought too much of how do I, you know, how do, how do I continue to thrive as an independent artist? Uh, I think I'm still kind of counting on the Hmm. traditional things I've been counting on and maybe, yeah, maybe it's time to have that conversation of like, landscapes changing here are some new things you should try but i think it's tough because as artists we already have so many things to keep track of Mm -hmm. now we have like six or seven new things like metrics or whatever to keep track of like whether it be tiktok like you said or you know getting into the crypto world which i have my reservations about um with the environmental impact because i have i think that is the real social issue that i have an existential fear and and worry about and want to do something about want to use my platform to help because i think that is the issue from which all other issues it's like we can't we can't solve other smaller issues when our when people are like you know fleeing horrible disasters and stuff it's it's like i feel like we need to be tackling some of that systemic stuff um so i i i've done research on the nft stuff i've heard from people who are pro nft um like i follow rack on twitter he seems to be kind of like the leading the charge in the musician front of things um and from what i've gathered the real issue is with ethereum and Ethereum being so energy uh, consuming. And that the solution to that, which is also artist led, I've realized the solutions mm-hmm. are mostly being led by artists, um, is getting Ethereum off of proof of work model and onto a proof of stake model, mm-hmm. which from what I understand is like a zero consumption <laughs> form. Like they would be close to zero uh the emissions much like much much less much much better for the environment how i perceive the environmental impact of ethereum right now is it's like a a 19 i don't know 80 computer it's really large it's really clunky um it is not optimized there's a vision for optimization and eventually it's going to like take up as much power as your iphone does as it charges right this idea that so long as there's a vision for a better future, I, in my personal opinion, the, the benefits of the antiquated institutions that cryptocurrencies can replace, like banking, <laughs> right, yeah. far, far outweigh the negative impacts, especially because there's a long-term vision to make it less bad for the environment that was not a very smart way to say that but you know sometimes the words just come out as they do well I, here's a here's the other thing i really want to stress mm-hmm. i'm not an expert i'm not a climate scientist yeah no you know, none of us are experts on climate or even really like uh creating nfts i don't it's like i'm not an expert i'm sure like most nope. people are, are still learning about it still understanding it but i think you don't have to be an expert on the environment to feel like we need to be tackling this issue. Like I think a lot of the early discourse around the environmental issue was people tweeting at, you know, ex artists being like, well, have you considered the environmental impact? Like you're fucking, you're like, you're, you're a bad person, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Like you're, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, and that causing kind of a, gut reaction from artists tech guys saying uh you know kind of writing it off kind of saying well these guys are just trolls these guys are just whatever like they're just trying to find a way to cut you down because they're not millionaires off of you know they didn't get in in the door quick but i do think that we still really have to have this kind of conversation about the environmental thing to figure out what to do about it rather than just antagonizing the people who are doing NFTs and the people who are doing NFTs writing off the argument altogether, right? So it's for, for me, it's the solution is 
okay, the problem is not artists. The problem is not necessarily even NFTs. The problem is Ethereum's energy consumption. How do we fix that, right? We have to drive a change to move to the different model, the proof of stake model. Uh, and there has to be a considerable amount of pressure for people who are invested in Ethereum to want to do that. Like we, that we have to keep a little bit of pressure on that. Um, but again, not an expert, just I, I have a real, I feel this sort of like duty or calling to try to, you know, help the environment as much as I can. And it's, it's really hard because yeah, even like living on earth, you're in a state of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Like we all, we all like still use plastic. We all still drive cars. We, we do things that inherently environment or hurt the environment. Um, but the big, I think the big thing we need to realize is like most of the climate problem is caused, caused by like the fossil fuel companies. Yeah. And it, it's a structural systemic issue that um, we just have to try to keep pushing it to the forefront and it might feel annoying or feel antagonistic, but I think it's, I think it's important to keep pushing it. No, I agree. And I think, you know, I definitely got a few comments that I'm a terrible person that's ruining the world because I'm doing NFTs. And for me, I'm just like, that's just not a productive line of conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so I made it really clear. So now whenever someone reaches out, I direct them to my Discord where I have an NFT chat where we have had multiple long form like debates essentially because me and a few of my fans, we come on different sides of a problem where we have the same goal, but we just see different angles. And, and climate change is an inherently wicked problem. It's not easily defined it's not easily solved solving one exactly. aspect has a neg a, a negative reaction on this there are you know hundreds of definitions of the problem and so essentially it's like you said all we can do as individuals is a educate ourselves the best we can make the most informed decisions that we can and recognize that like and consistently antagonizing um each other Right. And essentially this burden that gets placed on normal people and, and just daily consumers, the blame that's that's not the proper place for the exactly. blame. And so us all kind of looking to these larger structures, um, unregulated companies, et cetera. Right. I would say that moving Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake obviously inherently important also important voting right also important important is is you know kind of looking towards these behemoths and recognizing that we need to change from the top down and we can change from the bottom up as well but you know the kind of pointing of fingers at the bottom saying, well, you use fast fashion. Will you eat meat? Well, you, right. Like that's, that's not, um, it's not productive and it does cause people to shut down, which is why I only talk about things long form on discord. Like I just don't respond on Twitter because 180 characters, there's so much thing that can get misconstrued there to where it's like, it becomes an argument and I don't want to argue. I want to have productive conversations. Yeah, and the thing you're inherently doing is as a form of community organizing, which is like how you create real change. I mean, we saw with the election, like getting people, reaching out to people as a community and, and figuring it out from there and not demonizing each other. Because the truth is, it's like, it's not a you and I problem. It's, a, it's bigger than us. Mm -hmm. So like we can argue at each other like, you're not vegan, you're a bad person. Um, but in reality, it's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not them. It's the, the cow killing company. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the beef industry. It's the, it's the beef industry. And like, let's organize out of this common discomfort and this common, um, uh, cognitive dissonance about the things we do. Let's organize together to try to change it. And that's inherently what being an artist is like, that's part of it. Uh, 
And that's the thing is like a lot of people get really mad at artists for being either political or whatever. But artists have a community and an ecosystem of people who are sharing ideas like this, like on a Discord. And that is how you change things. It's, you you rally people around something uh, because, I mean, they came to you because they're interested in your music, but then there's something deeper than that. They want to see your perspective of the world. They want to see your perspective on things and they they feel something that you feel. You have something shared. But I think that this conversation it it like this is the future of independent music i think i think that we're so conditioned to focus on the macro on the millions of streams on the millions of eyes on the millions of people and i think at the beginning of covid i really had this epiphany that actually focusing on the micro and focusing on my community and what i bring to them and then what they bring to me like that's how I've pivoted because I just I, I recognized that I didn't want to return back to quote unquote normal. Normal wasn't working. I, I saw the 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 path narrowing and the gates coming up and I recognized that like I actually I actually don't have a future in that normal. Right. I don't have a career in that normal. And so this idea of like pivoting and it's been a really long and intense year and so how i kind of want to end this conversation which i think has been really brilliant and i'm really grateful that you came on is is you were really open about kind of your mental health struggles this year you know with anxiety and ocd i fall on the other side of that spectrum as a chronic depressive i guess how in your day-to-day -day and through your music and art, do you find that you cope with that? And how does it benefit you in a way? Because I think a lot of, like, we, we constantly look at, you know, mental struggles as these negative things. But they, I think they also contribute to us as, you know, whole people and, and provide a lot of dynamics to us as people. Well, something that I really struggled with and still kind of struggle with is, you know, when I feel, when I'm feeling the effects of my whatever disorders, I um, I don't want to do anything. I don't mm -hmm. want to create. I just want to curl up in bed and like watch TV or just dissociate or whatever. And I think for me, the big thing that has helped me kind of get back to the way I was and I just really needed to feel kind of uh I just needed to feel almost like safe you need a little bit of safety to feel creative I think mm -hmm. maybe I don't know maybe other people don't but no for I me, feel I that. just needed I needed the stable ground to be on to be able to feel like I can create again uh and the big thing was me for me was focusing on finding therapy and therapy is a complex issue. It's expensive. Mm. Some therapists suck at it. Some therapists <laughs> use the wrong the wrong technique. Like for me, I didn't, you know, I was kind of undiagnosed with OCD until this year. And I had been doing um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is all about reassurance. And you're fine. You're okay. Everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. But I realized what I needed was to have a different type of therapy, which is called ERP, mm -hmm. so exposure response prevention. It's like the exact opposite. <laughs> exactly. So do things that make you uncomfortable. Do things that make you, that trigger you essentially. Feel those feelings. You know, you even write down like a number. It's like, okay, this thing made me go to a 10. So I'm going to sit with this feeling until it goes down. Okay, now it's eight. Now it's seven. And it can take hours. But, um, that is the kind of therapy that helped me to put things from the front of my mind to the back of my mind and then bring music back to the front. So I think therapy is the thing that has helped me the most. Um, I don't think that my struggles make me want to write. They mm -hmm. don't. I, I need to feel healthy and good to be able to do it. And that's what therapy has provided for me. And I would encourage anyone who can afford it to do it. And if, you know, it's so hard because I don't, I, I think insurance should cover therapy. 
I think insurance should cover all mental health issues, but that shit, that shit's expensive. I'm lucky that I'm able to afford it. And then I've prioritized it over other things, um, financially, but just from my experience, um, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for therapy and the right kind of therapy and the right therapist for you, not just signing up on some online site where it's like you're, you know, typing to someone. You need to have like a real interaction with people. So I don't know what, what's been your experience because for, for so long, like I was taught like, oh, you express your emotions through your music. And like people who artists who have been miserable and horrible, that was like the one thing mm-hmm. they could do. And I didn't, I didn't have that experience, unfortunately. I don't know. What about you? It's, it's strange because I'm very similar. I don't want to create in depression. I want to curl up and dissociate. That's you know, that's where I lie is um is extreme dissociation. That being said, I think that. A, running has really helped me. Just mm. forcing myself to run. and so like and, physical yeah. activity. Because yeah. even if, like let's just say in like a, a larger episode, if all I do is run that day, it's something very definitive that I did that I know is beneficial regardless of the result. So that's been a game changer. And I also think that what I, I've tried to like look at depression as an asset in this way that it provides me a certain depth on the human experience right maybe it's you know and it's dark right it's this idea of like I I kind of can see through a lot of layers of what has meaning and and what I find to be meaningless and I think that when I am healthy the prior experiences of not being they just give me a different context and allow me to tap into different things. And so for me, it's not something that I necessarily like romanticize like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm such a cool artist because I'm depressed. It's like it's almost mm. not even that interesting. I'm just like, yeah, this is just like this appendage of myself that I'm so used to. I can't even get riled up about it anymore. Yeah. But when I am healthy, it, it it does give you a depth and it gives you, you know, a perspective on the world that I think is really valuable. And it allows me to really connect with people on much deeper levels because I understand. I'm like very dispassionate about it. So like I don't go there emotionally with people, but I, you know, I think there's a value to that. Like I, I understand the depth of it all. Yeah, I think I take my experiences from having those lows and I bring them into when I'm healthy, right? Like, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm back, I'm making music and now I can say, I want to write a song about, you know, December 23rd when I had a panic attack and I want to exp- you know, make, express those feelings through lyrics and then I also kind of want to create like these euphoric soundscapes around it, um, almost as like a sort of like, sonic medicine and like i i love ambient music i love those kind of textures um so i think those can be very emotive on their own but i think the first thing i do is bring uh, an emotion to the production and then um i'm not the best lyricist of all time so i usually just do some sparse things and then i'll work with other lyricists or songwriters to get mm-hmm. a full a full song lyrical concept together uh and yeah that's just how that's how i express emotion like when i feel like shit i don't want to create it's really hard sometimes i'll go weeks where i'm just having episodes or whatever and you know people be like oh can't wait for new music and it's like i'm when i'll get there (laughs) yeah working on it and i guess when when artists say i'm working on it they mean more than just i'm in the studio fine-tuning the compression of this track i mean like mm-hmm. i'm i'm trying to get to a place where i can really do this and focus on it but that's just me maybe other people i mean some people have healthy brains and they're just like god yeah. bless them <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like cool 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 uh, it, it is it is funny that you say 
we're yeah when we say we're working on it it's yeah we're working on music but we're also working on life and living and creating a a a well-balanced life right Mm -hmm. where we're balancing the creation of art where we're balancing the business aspect and everything that we have to do to make the art sustainable and then there's also this this portion of that triangle that is living and just being alive and being a human. That's the part that I neglect. I'm like, (laughs) I'm real good at the business. The art gives me anxiety, but somehow it always comes together. Right. And then I just wholly neglect, you know, self care. And I just bought a skateboard and I'm (laughs) like, I don't know, hobbies and, and friendships, you know? And so I think that, we're on that we're on we're on a similar path there where it's just like when you have a balance of all three of those things you've really created something that's sustainable exactly and i think that's that's how you keep growing that's how you put out the best music you can uh when you really take time to craft it and not make decisions based on what's going to be the big hit or based on I need to eat this month. How do I make sure that, I, that this song is going to make me money? Like, um, and those inevitably still come up. But when you have a good, a good, healthy balance of of life, you're able to bring your best self to your art and create the best art you can. Anatomy of an Artist is a podcast created, recorded, and edited by me, Verite. It was produced by Vanessa Magos with the help of Yesenia Bonilla. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.